So as I told Matthew, um, after he uh, did the um, Sunday school, he was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'm ready anymore. <laughs> he, did, he, did, he did such a good job. Um, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And um, so I'd like to tell you a funny story. My son bought me a large print um, um, New King James. I mean, it's like this big. So you're talking about Bible thumping, and it's like. So I have my I have my doodad here, but unfortunately, I need to also cross reference. So I have the King James and the New King James um, because I I just can't flip through this thing like you guys do. It's just. Some tricks you can't teach an old dog, and uh, and moving through these things is one of them. But by the grace of God, I will make this thing work. If nothing else, maybe I will. Okay. So let us pray. Lord, as we open up the scripture, we pray that what I will say today will be Christ honoring and will be correct, Lord. I ask that you help me not to misrepresent you, but to represent the truth as set forth in the scripture for your glory and for our benefits. These things I ask in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. So Galatians chapter 1. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Christ Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit of the works? Uh, did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the flesh? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and the works, the miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore know that only those who are of the faith, uh, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. In summary, I wrote a lot. <laughs> and as I think of the final things that the Holy Spirit wants me to say, we have been going through a transformation of becoming more Christ-like as a people and as a practice 
And that has been a journey that we're still on as a congregation. And the closer that I get in that transformation process, counting all the years that I, since I made my profession of faith, I see us moving and I see myself and the scripture confirming the centrality of what I'm going to tell you today. So in verses one through nine, in summary, it's this whole section is almost on one level a very strong rebuke to the Galatians. But in another level, it is almost like the opening statements that a prosecutor would make to the accused. And you say, huh? Because in this, we've got the law and we have grace. And in this, I think that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a very stinging rebuke. But before all of this makes sense, we have to be reminded as a background that Galatians, according to the historians and other writers, was the very first letter that went out to the churches. So you've got to kind of remember when you're reading this that it wasn't too many years from Christ actually being crucified that this letter went out. So this isn't 2,000 years later. This isn't 50 years later. This isn't 100 years later. This was very recent. And, and so you've got to remember, and I know you won't, but I will remind you that the society was very oral and that a lot of things were passed down by word. And it wasn't hearsay, but it was by witnesses and testimonials. And so it struck me that this is as a much as a rebuke, it is also the opening lines to a chastisement, an indictment, charges. So look at those first words. It says, oh, Foolish Galatians. How would you like to open up a letter from your mom or your mom or your dad? And it doesn't say, hey, Eric. It says, oh, foolish Eric. Whoa. Okay. Huh. Huh. Okay. Do I really want to read the rest of this letter? Or do I just put it off and say, well, dad, you're having a bad day. <laughs> And we really, we read this so much, we kind of gloss over it. But think about it. The very first letter that went out to not just the Galatians, but to the other churches, if we, if we can take what the historians have saying, he's calling them fools. <laughs> those, aren't, those aren't terms of endearment, are they? <laughs> and, and so... And then on top of that, he follows it up with another sentence or another phrase, which isn't really a good one either. He asks a very hard set of compound questions. He says, who have bewitched you? 
when somebody comes up to me and says, one, you're a fool, and then who did you let bewitch, deceive, you know, witchcraft, not a good thing, right? So, so in whose court have you been playing that you allowed yourself, you could say bewitch, or you could say who allowed you to be deceived? And you're supposed to be my brother in Christ. And you're coming up to me and putting your finger in my chest and saying, you've been practicing witchcraft, haven't you? Man, it's like, okay, I feel my fingers, I feel my blood, I feel everything turning right up to the top. And he says, who bewitched that you should not obey the truth? And I said, what? Or what truth are you talking about? Yeah, you. You not believing the truth. You're practicing witchcraft. You're a fool. I mean, you're not believing. And you say, what truth are you talking about? Well, let's take a look at that. Let's unpack what that is. So when I look at this word bewitching, and when I look at the word truth, and then when I look at what he is talking about, when he says that has been evidently set forth and crucified, in other words, to set something forth is to present, to, to be told, to, to have witnesses. It's, 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 it's not just one thing. It's a series of things that human beings do. When you instruct your children, or you tell a friend how to repair something, or whatever it is you're doing, you're engaging all the senses. You're, you're, you're talking, you're pointing, you're looking, you're doing everything. It's not just this one thing. It's very dynamic. And he says, so then I think back, okay, he just said I was a fool, and he said I was practicing witchcraft. Or he said, who convince me to practice witchcraft. It's 2,000 years later, and sometimes we as America, we, we forget that, just like they did, evil is always very present. And we, 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 we even alluded to it in Sunday school. Evil is always present, but then you look among your faces, and you look among one another, and you say, Peggy is evil? So I started to point over here, but I said, I, I can get away with my wife. I can't get away with you. You might hit me. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, I might not get away with Peggy, but we've been married almost 37. <laughs> we've been married almost 37 years. She, she really can't take me back. It's, it's little, you, know, you know how you, you, you get married and you say, well, bring her back if it doesn't work out. But it's 37 years later. It's like, uh, there's no refunds on this. <laughs> um. We find out that Satan is the arch deceiver that's been with us all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis 3, 5, we find that Satan beguiled or deceived Eve. Satan is the author of deceit. He twists scripture 
In Matthew chapter 4, verse 6, he twisted the scripture against God. Now, is that a lot of nerve? The author of the scripture, Satan, went and twisted the meaning of what the author wrote. So if he can do that to God or try, he can't do it to God. What makes us think that he won't try it with us? He's very cunning. He makes plans in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 through 14. He, he makes cunning plans. And in that same section of scripture, it talks about Satan would even portray himself as an angel of light to deceive the believers. So when Paul asked the question, who bewitched you or who deceived you? He already knew the answer, but he was putting the answer to the faces of those who would read it. So you think about the centrality of scripture 2,000 plus years later, we're sitting here in America and maybe we've read this a lot of times and it just zips past us. If we sit and think about it, Paul is reminding us, God is reminding us, the Holy Spirit is reminding us that we have an adversary that doesn't take a vacation. That adversary does not take a vacation. That adversary is not even taking a vacation right now. The mind can bop in and out, in and out, in and out, thousands of thoughts in milliseconds, in the twinkling of the eye. So the danger of modern Christianity is to think that you got everything pat and that you, you, you know the phrases and yeah, I know the scripture. When I, when I was looking at Galatians, I've, I've preached through this again and I've read the different commentaries, but at the end of the day, I really didn't know anything until I started looking at the scripture. And then I started contemplating and realizing that Satan in this very first, we haven't even got out of verse one, guys. He's there trying to keep me from getting the meat that God has for us today. So think about that. And the reason why I say that is there are people that are members of Chesapeake Baptist Church who are not here. Pray for them. They're missing the meat that they so desperately need, not because of me. God uses the foolishness of preaching to confound the adversary. They need it for themselves. Not because I'm some great speaker, but because this is the word of God. And God said, Eric, tell them about how Satan is in this question. I didn't come up with this. I mean, I've read this 
You know, I'm, I've been in this church almost 30 years. I've read this more times than I can shake a stick, but I discovered something new. Satan's right in here when he asked this question. Who bewitched you? He's telling them Satan deceived you into doing what? What is it that he not obeying the truth? And what is that truth? The part I'm about to tell you now is the most important thing that you need above everything else. And what is that truth? We call it the gospel. But what really is the gospel? Think about the context again. Remember that this is an oral society. They didn't have the newspapers and they didn't print about the, 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 the events that happened in Jerusalem. They didn't have CNN. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have all the forms of communications that we have now. They had people who were walking from place to place, from place to place. They had people who were yakking and talking, and there were people who actually witnessed what? What did they witness? They witnessed that Jesus Christ, this man named Jesus Christ, by all accounts, was telling people, I've come to give you life and life more eternal. He had things like the Beatitudes. He said, I was meek and lowly of heart. He raised people from the dead. He restored sight. He contended with the Pharisees. He did this and he did that. And, and he said, come unto me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. He did all of that. And they hauled him off to a tree and they stripped him, they beat him, and they put him naked on a tree and they put a spear in his side and they beat him from whatever and they killed him. They killed the hope. You think about it, guys. Think about it now. He promised all of this stuff to people. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, and I'm that. And I remember when Dr. King was assassinated. How many people cried? Bobby Kennedy, Robert Kennedy. Why? Because they put their hope in that man. And then some evil person blew his brains out or shot him while he was standing on a porch. If you didn't live that, you don't get it. You don't get the burning and the, and the destruction and the anger. And the Jesus brought hope to a hopeless society. And then what did the Romans and the religious leaders do? They killed him. And Paul is reminding when in that phrase crucified among you, he's saying, guys, I'm reminding you that Jesus, who was sinless, who was perfect, who said, I am the way, the truth and the life. 
He's dead. And then three days he came out of the grave and he walked among the people and hope was restored and the promise, the promise by his death and resurrection, you believed on him because now he proved through works. He proved by the works of being coming from the, that he was God and that he was able to keep the promises. And you said amen to that. And you said, I am going to put my lot on him. On him. You got a relationship with God. God, not, not Martin Luther King, not Robbie. You got a relationship with God because you know why? Because he came back alive again. And all the people who were in Jerusalem who saw him beat up, marred up, he wasn't, the, the, the thief and the other thief, they weren't beat up, marred up, scarred up, whipped. But Jesus was. And they saw him alive again. First by Mary. Mary saw him in Matthew 27 and Mark 16. The disciples saw him on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, verses 46 and 48. Then all the disciples in verse 20 and 16, and in, in, in John chapter 20, verse 16, and in John 21, verses 29, 27 and 29, and in John 24. They had so much lost hope, they went back to fishing. Think about it, guys. I mean, we in America, we, we don't get it. But Paul and the Holy Spirit is reminding us because he's chastised. He said, guys, you saw him. Some of you were even at Jerusalem. And if you go read Acts chapter 1, you read the whole chapter, he was saw by over 500 people. I mean, he was out there 40 days, so it wasn't one of these TV images where you, you got a glimpse. No, he was out there. He was fishing. He was walking. He was talking. He was showing the holes in his side. He was out there saying, I am God. I am alive. This is what I was talking about that you didn't understand before I died. But here it is. If you Put your lot with me. If you believe me, I am remitting your sins. Because you know what I did? I died on the cross and I paid for sins of the whole world. And I and I alone have the power to remit or pay your sins. But you got to turn from your unbelief to belief in me. Not in a program, not in this, not in that. Not in anything else. The one central fact is that I came back alive from the dead and not just falling down with whooping cough. I was beat up, torn up, cut, slashed, beaten. It says he was so marred nobody could even recognize him as being a human being. I came back from the worst 
the worst of the worst. I took every sin that you ever thought will ever have, ever did in the past, present, and in the future for the whole world. And I'm back. Because I loved you, I died for you, and I freely offer you this. That's the fact that he's chastising them about. He's chastising them because they forgot and they allowed Satan to come in and deceive them and told them, no, 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 don't worry about that. You need to keep the law. <coughs> you need to do the things that Moses told you to do. You need to, 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 to do all of that again. And he said, no, you need to believe me. Your relationship with God is through me because I am God. <clears throat> I was sent by God. I am God's son. I'm as much God as God the Father. And I'm sending you God the Holy Spirit, who is much God as God is me and as God is Father. And we're working together for you. And you just have to believe and turn from your unbelief in yourself. Because that's really what you're believing. When you follow the law, you're believing in yourself. You're believing that you can do that. And God's got to take me to heaven. Because I did it. <clears throat> I'm top dog. I did it. I didn't miss a Sunday school class. I didn't miss a this. I didn't miss a that. I didn't miss a this. You name it, I did it. So you got to take me. All the time you got a cold black heart because you're believing on yourself because that's what Satan is. Satan said, I'm going to be like God. And we took on the spirit of Satan when sin came into us. And Jesus took that away. He paid for that. And he's the only one that earned the right for your obedience. He says, if you don't believe me, believe me because of what I did. And that's what God is chastising us today about. The same thing that he chastised the Galatians. That's why he said, oh, foolish. You started believing because you saw me walk the earth after the crucifixion. And now you're telling me some man comes along and tells you you got to be circumcised and you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do A, B, C, D to keep the promise that I gave you. That hurts me. That hurts me. Because you couldn't keep those, prom those, those things. And I freely gave you through my blood life and life eternal. And now you're going back to something that was written down by man. We look at the Christian tradition since then and how many things have been added by religion. Things that are spoken and things that are not spoken. Things that say you don't wear T-shirts that got bad writing on them. You know, we've heard it. I couldn't get away with Jared's haircut, but I have my own. <laughs> Just to lighten it up a little bit. The point is... 
The very fact of Jesus being crucified and coming alive again. Don't trivialize that. Don't overlook that. Without that, there's nothing else. There absolutely is nothing else. At the end of your days, you're going to go to heaven because you believe what Jesus promised and nothing more and nothing less. Don't trivialize that. Don't be deceived in the thinking that your Christian service is making you any less or any more loved by God. Because it isn't. God so loved the world, period, that he gave. And nothing in there about man. It's all about God. Jesus died on the cross willingly. And he willingly offers that to you. So to kind of wrap things up through all these pages, the so what? The so what is do not, do not, do not. If you are born again, and I, I shouldn't even use that word, if you've been You've had your sins remitted by Jesus because you accepted the work that he did on the cross. Don't forget that. Don't trivialize that. Every morning and every day, that should excite you. I mean it. Every morning, every day, no matter how earthly the world looks to you, the very fact that Jesus was willing and offered and you accepted the contract for what he did to remit, to pay for your sins should excite you, should, should, should say, I want to know how I can be more like him. Not to gain any more because I've gained the whole world. He's already paid for it. I want to do that because I love him. I want to be more like him because I love him because he first loved me. That's the bottom line. And for those who are not believers, you should be quaking in your boots, your socks, your, 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 your sandals, whatever it is you're wearing, because he's paid it. And if you reject it, You've got no remedy. You know, Matthew prayed about suicide, and, and I almost threw something in there. And I'm not, I'm just going to say that, that um, I don't understand it. But I will tell you that it's all self-centered, in my opinion. Because they don't have the hope of Jesus Christ. So they just look to themselves and within themselves, they have no way of solving their problems. I feel sorry for them. Because the solution is Jesus. He will give you the specific, but the solution lies with him. But you got to know him. You got to put all your trust in him. 
Not in a program, not in your money, not in your fame, not how many clicks you got on Facebook, not how many Twitter things you got. I don't even know what that is. You got to put your faith in him and him alone. Him and him alone. Nobody else. And so I feel sorry for those, those, those famous people, um, Kate Spade and some a Anthony, somebody who was a cook or whatever. I mean, uh, from the outside, they looked like they had it all. And yet, they didn't have Jesus. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I need to apologize for that. I don't know. But I think Jesus said, I am the truth and the life. Come unto me, all you heavy burden, and I will give you rest. I just think my God would have found a way to give them rest because he promised that. The key to him coming back alive is that all the words that he said, all the promises that he made, he proved he could keep them. That's why that's the most central part so the rest of these questions, he says, why did you why did you do this? Why are you suffered in vain? How can you through your flesh when you started in the spirit? Those questions become insignificant when you look at the centrality that if I can come back alive again, I got everything. I got it. Whatever your problem is, I got it. Because I defeated the thing that is the most impossible, and that is coming back alive after being dead. Because I'm the creator. There's nothing too hard for me. And if there's nothing too hard for me, because I proved to you that nothing is too hard, I did the thing that every human being fears the most. And that is death. That is the thing that every human being fears the most. That is death. And I defeated it. Gone. Well, if I can do that, okay. Marriage is not working out. No problem. I got answers for you. But you got to be willing to trust my answers. It all goes back to trusting you for your for your for your eternal life. If you trust me for your eternal life, then you know what? You're going to give me the answers for my marriage or my financial situation. And they're going to work. Because you destroy death. Logically, it can't but work. So at the end there's two there's always that. For the Christian, don't forget your first love. Your first love is that man who died on the cross, came back alive again for you. That is your very first love. Everything else is secondary. For the non-Christian, it's that same act. It puts you into the family. And when you're in that family, he got you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You can't out you can't outrun him. You can't out exhaust him. So that's my message. Verse one. Think of those things. I know you probably didn't take all the scripture verses, but go back and think of those scripture verses and go back and look at the promises and look at the very fact that he said, man, 
It was evident. I was crucified. Some of you saw it. Some of you saw me back alive again. Now you're, you're going back to doing the stupid stuff? That's Eric. That's free. So that's the message. I thank you very much. I'm not as eloquent and as studious as Matthew. But the scripture is the scripture. And it doesn't really rely on me. It relies on the scripture. I pray that you look at that scripture. Contemplate what Jesus has asked you. And remind yourself.